0: Hello once again everybody and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, November 11th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host Adam Burke. I'll be joined on today's show by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter of huntersportspicks.com. we a chat about mostly college football. If we're not running too long, we'll talk a little bit on the NFL here as well. Of course, you'll hear college football and NFL talk on Thursday with myself and professional better and handicapper Brad Powers. And then Friday to finish out the week, I will talk a lot of NFL on my Circus Sports Million 2 segment. So if we don't get to the NFL today, that's quite all right. We got a lot of NFL coming your way here the rest of the week. Over at ATS.io, we've got you covered for all kinds of college football and NFL action for this week. Crazy to think it's already week 11 in college football, week 10 in the NFL. Got game breakdowns, all kinds of good stuff over at the website, my college football power ratings. And later on in the week, we'll have a sharp money report talking about the odds movement that we've seen here so far in the betting markets. And, of course, on Thursday, we've got the Masters. We got you fully covered for that over at ATS.io. Got a Masters preview for you. Got some sportsbook promotions about the Masters, including one from BetMGM Sportsbook. Bet $1 on any golfer to win the Masters. And if any golfer makes a birdie, and, of course, that is going to happen, you'll win $100 in free bets from BetMGM Sportsbook. So we encourage you to head on over to ATS.io, read up on that, and then go through ATS.io for a 100% deposit match bonus up to $500 for BetMGM Sportsbook. And while you're over at ATS, download the ATS app as well. Right up there in the top menu, a link to download on either Android or iOS, which is an Apple device. Or you can find those in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Download that ATS app today. All right, with that, we'll go ahead and bring on today's guest and that is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man?
1: It's going all right, man. How about yourself?
0: Doing well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, sir. I hope you've recovered from the great predicted crash of 2020 that uh certainly marred election night for a lot of people that were out there trading those markets. Uh you know, obviously that cut into your bottom line. I'm sure not being able to trade back and forth on some of those states, but Overall, with your betting and with some of the things we talked about on last week's show, uh, how'd you wind up doing on the election here?
1: I did really well. Um, I would have done even better if it weren't for Predicted. I'm still kind of upset about that one. I know there's a lot of people upset about it. Um, I kind of wonder how they're going to recover from that. But um, I wonder in four years if there's going to be more options. I, I kind of hope that there's you know not just Predicted. I hope there's some more exchanges, but. Uh, really good really good uh, election wagering year as far as the bottom line Uh, real happy with it spent a lot of time on it but it was well worth it
0: well of course as you told me this morning you've still had the opportunity to trade the election a little bit because there are some questions about you know the legitimacy of the vote counts and all of that and some of the states and how they'll sort of wind up so uh I'm sure you didn't really imagine that eight days later you'd still have the opportunity to trade some of the things with the election but uh You've been keeping on top of it. You've been able to make a little bit of extra money here uh, over the last few days with everything going on as we sort of sort through uh, this gigantic mess that was the 2020 election. But with that, we'll sort through what some people could consider a mess, I guess, this 2020 college football season. And something I want to talk about here. Actually, you know what? Let me do this first. It is Veterans Day, so I do want to take a moment here and thank all of the active and former military personnel that listen to the show, uh, those that have perhaps had friends or relatives that, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice with their service. Thank you to each and every one of you out there, and I know that, you know, people on the home front serve as well while their loved ones and friends uh, are away protecting our freedom. So thank you to everybody out there that's either active military, you know, former military, Um, you know, may have military members in the future if their children want to go into that line of work. So thank you to everybody out there and Kyle, I'm sure you want to echo those same sentiments.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think that's a good way to start the show here today. There's some huge sacrifices that are made, and we certainly appreciate all those sacrifices. I'm glad you started things off with that because uh, that's more important than anything else we're going to talk about today. So thank you so much. I know there's quite a few listeners who, who actually do serve now or have served in the past. So um, uh, if you're listening and you have or, or do currently serve, thank you so much for that sacrifice.
0: Well, and of course, uh, the guy who actually got me into sports betting back in college uh, did some time in the Marines as well. So I'm certainly thinking of my good buddy Steve here uh, on today's show. But yeah, with that, I I guess we'll transition over to college football here and talk about that some. And one thing I do want to talk about here at the top of our college football breakdown is simply to say that, you know, as we're looking at the SEC, and I know a lot of people are tying this back to Halloween parties and stuff like that these covid outbreaks and, and these contact tracing position groups and all of that i think this is just going to dramatically increase as we go forward here because a lot of these teams now either aren't going to reach expectations or a lot of these players have just kind of you know had enough with all of the protocols and how they're sort of handcuffed from living you know that college experience this is going to be a thing here as we go forward i think far more than it has been To this point in the season, seven games already canceled for this week, four of them in the SEC. I don't really know how we could handicap this per se, but I wonder if this does lead to some more hesitance in terms of people betting these games early in the week.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I agree with you. Um, I think that things are going to get even tougher here. Um, The numbers are going up. I have to say, I really enjoy handicapping stats and, you know, looking at data for college football. I don't enjoy handicapping COVID. That that is something that I'm looking forward to that being over. Um, I don't like handicapping, okay, which state has, you know, more COVID cases and which is more likely to, you know, not have a game played or who's more likely to have players out. But that's the type of things that I'm having to look at this year because, I mean, it's kind of our reality right now. And as as I've said to you off air, it makes it really tough because you see steam come in on a certain side and you start wondering if somebody knows something that there's going to be several guys sitting out because of COVID or something keeps you off a play that you actually like that ends up winning. That's essentially what happened to me last weekend with Iowa. I ended up betting them small when they got down to minus five. But, you know, I really should have made a bigger bet on Iowa there against Michigan State. I know Iowa, Wisconsin have had a lot of COVID uh, issues uh, as a state, and I kind of wondered if there was something going on behind the scenes for so much steam on Michigan State. It turns out it must have just been people impressed with Michigan State beating Michigan the week before. Which, um, you know, I mean, we could kick Michigan a little bit here, but you uh, have to wonder how how long Hardball is going to be around. But yeah, you're right. I mean. I don't think that this is going away anytime soon. I think that, you know, as we talk about college football the rest of this year, and then when we talk about college basketball here in a couple of weeks, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this quite a bit still.
0: Yeah, most definitely. You know, like yesterday, for example, I have no idea how the hell Buffalo got down to seven. I, I just, I never understood that game day. Miami of Ohio money wound up taking Buffalo at seven was a game that, You know, I wasn't necessarily sure I'd have a ton of interest in because my line was off from the opener. It got bet towards my opener or towards my line, I should say. I had it 13. It got bet up to 11, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this makes sense. You know, there's really not a whole lot of equity for me to play this. Then it gets down to seven, and I'm like, what the hell? I'm feverishly looking through Twitter to figure out, do the Bulls have some sort of COVID outbreak? Is there something going on? never found anything. Bet Buffalo minus seven. They win and cover easily, but I think that will probably end up being the norm here as we go forward, too. We'll see some people stick their necks out, grab some of these lines early on in the week, but something else, too, and I talked about this on Monday during my solo segment when I discussed updating my power ratings, we're seeing significant game day moves in a lot of these games here with no time for the market to resettle. So I think that's kind of had an impact on the adjustments for my power ratings, because I compare my line with the closing line. And the fact of the matter is at close right now, it's not as mature of a market as we're used to seeing because we're seeing this one way avalanche of money and the books don't have a chance to really adjust back. The line doesn't settle in. There's not as much buyback. We're seeing some pretty significant one way moves on game day. We saw one yesterday with Miami and Buffalo. Uh, We saw a few of them last week, you know, with, uh, with some of the different games that were out there. It's just kind of the nature of the beast now that I think on game day, people are just going to feel far more comfortable. That's where we may see, you know, a lot of this money emerge.
1: I think that's a really good point, especially when it comes to power ratings, because if you look at a game like Miami uh, versus Buffalo, and now you look at the closing line and you say, should I downgrade Buffalo? I don't want to downgrade Buffalo. Buffalo to me is the best team in the Mac. And right now it doesn't look like it's going to be very close. Obviously um, they're going to lose some games, but Buffalo is a really good team. Patterson's a great running back, uh, really good offensive line. Leopold's a good coach. But yeah, when you see that closing line, you say, uh, do I adjust based off of that, you know, and sometimes these game day moves are real, you know, you see um, some of those COVID uh, news breaks coming out, and then you see that line has moved three or four points, and and, you know, it's justified. And then you see some of these that aren't justified, and it's kind of hard to tell the difference sometimes, (laughs) you know, it's uh, which one is a justified line move, and which one should I be betting against that move? Um, It definitely makes for a uh, complicated season here in college football.
0: It really does. You know, you think about a game like Florida and Georgia. I mean, that one just moved down all week long, you know, so that's one where if you had an overlay in your power ratings, you absolutely had to make an adjustment. Stanford and Oregon, I think, was a tough one because that line was, you know, 12, 12 and a half, 13, got bet all the way down to eight, and then. Davis mills announced out with, you know, COVID contact tracing, or maybe even a case of it uh, for Stanford and the line bounces back up to 11. So what's the actual number? You know, I compare with the closing line. Well, that was 11 because Davis mills was out, but it was eight, you know, in the middle part of the week. So which line should I adjust based on and based on the fact that my Oregon line is quite a bit higher than the market this week and was much, much higher than the seven and a half that we saw at the open, would lead me to believe that maybe eight is the number that I should have used as a frame of reference. So it's tough, you know, and again, not everybody who listens to the show does college football power ratings, but for those that do, like you and I, like Brad Powers, I'll talk about this with him tomorrow, it's a challenge because that market that we expect to be very mature on Saturday with all of the money that's going to come in on both sides and all that kind of thing, We're not really seeing that this year. It's just another one of those things where, you know, COVID kind of throws a wrench into things. So again, for our listeners out there, you know, as you're trying to find line value based on the openers, stuff like that, we talk about box score study and looking for some of those little nuggets. And we will talk about some of those here in a second, but also keep in mind that, you know, these game day line moves, you got to do a little bit more digging to find out if there's some sort of catalyst behind it, like COVID, or if it's a true position.
1: Yeah, and it's uh it makes things a lot tougher. But, you know, you got to be able to put in the time. And I I think that uh, you make a really fantastic point about the closing line not being what it was in the past. Because in the past, we always say, well, the closing line, it, you have to grade it versus the closing line because it's the most mature. Now, like you said, I don't know if it really is or not, because in a lot of these cases, the closing line could be pretty misleading. So maybe you um, maybe take a blended approach, because I agree with you on some of mine. I've been a little bit too far off Oregon being one of them this week. And I think that's probably the reason why, although um, I've been too low on Washington State and uh, you know, I was wrong about Jaden DeLora. I think he was a lot better than I thought from the beginning. I don't know if that was Oregon State's defense more or if that was Jaden DeLora and the offense being that good. But you know, Washington State had some guys out last week and still played that well against Oregon State. So uh, maybe Rolovich is just doing a better job with uh, getting the running attack going than what I thought. But I, I totally agree with you that uh, it makes things very complex this season. It's something we're going to have to keep touching on probably nearly every week.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And and staying with the Pac-12 here, you know, this is something you mentioned to me in the notes with the box score study. And I mentioned it in passing a little bit here. Um, you know, Stanford and Oregon last week, the line move based on the box score was correct. I mean, this game was much closer than that 35-14 final would indicate.
1: Yeah, this game was – I had the under in this one, and I talk about some of my bad beats, so I'm going to talk about the fact that this one was a fortunate win. Um, You know, to me, this is a game where you have an Oregon team that got a big lead. Um, Oregon did give up a lot of big plays late in the game when they they were um, already ahead by quite a bit so I think it's a little bit misleading if you just look at Stanford's uh, you know box score because we've we've said before if, you know, misleading final scores there can also be kind of misleading box scores because Stanford got a lot of yards when Oregon didn't really care anymore so uh, they weren't able to turn those into points though because of missed field goals stopped on downs things like that turnovers but You know, to me, this was a much lower scoring game than it should have been with uh, Stanford and Oregon. 7.5 yards per play and 7.2 yards per play. This one should have been an over. And, um, you know, Stanford really on offense, although they weren't great, they did move the ball uh, fairly well, even earlier in the game. So uh, I think Stanford, maybe the market's a little bit too low on them right now.
0: Yeah, four missed field goals for Stanford here in this one. And they do have a veteran kicker in Jet Toner too. It's not like this was some, true freshman or something like that he just had a bad day they missed a couple of red zone field goals they punted at oregon's 38 which i i never i almost never agree with any plus territory punt unless of course you're fourth and goal and you wind up having to punt from midfield which we saw uh, in one of the college games last week but the seven and a half yards per play for oregon impresses the hell out of me and it's one of the reasons why despite that line plummeting quite a bit I didn't really adjust Oregon last week because they moved the ball on Stanford with relative ease even after having to transition from Justin Herbert, who appears to be a pretty good NFL quarterback. So I thought the early returns for Oregon last week were actually pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Oregon was running the ball really well, mixing in the pass when they had to. Um, Pretty aggressive with their play calling last weekend. So I don't know that Stanford defense is a great defense, but seven and a half yards per play is pretty impressive. Yeah, it definitely is. We
0: had a pretty big upset last week, Liberty and Virginia Tech and you know, Liberty, obviously a very good team. And I'm very, very intrigued to see who takes that leap with Hugh Freeze and gives him another chance, uh, you know, at maybe a power five program level. But uh, Liberty won the game, but maybe there's a chance that they shouldn't have.
1: Yeah, Virginia Tech 7.2 yards per play, Liberty 5.8. Uh, Liberty was four for four on fourth down. And uh, that's a pretty common thing you're going to see in these upsets. You know, those teams that maybe shouldn't have won, they've had a lot of fourth down success. We know those are really high leverage plays. Um, they, they get success on those plays. It's a, a lot easier to pull an upset. Virginia Tech's run defense, though, is a major problem. 249 yards allowed. They knew Liberty wanted to run the football, and they still couldn't stop it. Uh, To me, that's got to be pretty discouraging as a Hokies fan because, you know, you have to make Malik Willis throw the ball. He's such a good runner, and they have a lot of good, really good running backs there. Virginia Tech wasn't able to do it. Uh, We see Virginia Tech playing really slowly and having a lot of success on offense, but they can't stop anybody. So we see their totals go higher and higher.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, now you sort of wonder for Liberty going forward after that big win. And that was sort of a little brother, big brother type of game, too. Because for those that don't know, uh, Liberty University is in the state of Virginia. So anytime you could beat one of those Power Five programs from your own state, certainly a very big win. We'll see if there's any sort of hangover for them uh, in their next matchup here. Speaking of the ACC, Pitt and Florida, Pitt with a big blowout win. Not a great day for Florida State's program on Saturday. Not a great day here today either. James Blackman intends to transfer. Their top wide receiver now out of the program. Mike Norvell has really not had a great start to his tenure in Tallahassee.
1: No, uh, they had that one nice win, and and Florida State's really had a rough season overall. Florida State 3.8 yards per play in that game against Pitt. We know Pitt's defense is good, but 3.8 yards per play is uh, pretty bad, regardless of who you're against, and uh, Pickett back under center for Pitt, so that definitely helps him quite a bit. I don't think Pickett's a great player, but he's a pretty big upgrade over their backups, so uh, Florida State's defensive line is just atrocious. It's hard to believe that Florida State could have such a bad defensive line. No pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They can't get to the uh, opposition ever. Uh, Opponents can just run all over them. Florida state, not a team I'd want to back anytime soon.
0: No, I don't think so either. We will talk some more ACC here in a little bit. We'll break down Notre Dame and Boston college here uh, a little bit later in the show when we start doing some of our game breakdowns, but for now, let's go over to the big 10, some interesting results in the big 10. Last week, Ohio state, you know, did what they needed to do against Rutgers until they kind of gave up in the fourth quarter. And Ryan day, wasn't thrilled about that. Neither was Justin Fields. So, Maybe we see more of a full four-quarter effort here uh, against Maryland with a massive total up in the, what, 72 range uh, for that game. But a couple of other games to key in on here, and this is one I isolated on Monday's show and one that you isolated here as well. Northwestern and Nebraska. Northwestern wins 21-13, to but that does not tell the whole story. It doesn't. Nebraska had all kinds of woes in the
1: red zone. Nebraska 5.0 yards per play, Northwestern 4.9. So it was a pretty evenly played game. Nebraska did have 28 first downs to 14 for Northwestern. Nebraska turns it over in the red zone. Was it twice, I believe? Two picks in the end zone. Yeah, two picks in the end zone, then one stop. Both quarterbacks, too. Yeah, Nebraska, I don't I don't know what to make of Nebraska here. I know that uh both of our power ratings have uh Penn State a bigger favorite than than what the market does here. I don't know if I really want to bet Penn State though. So um I don't I don't know what to do with that game. I think that uh Northwestern is the team that I don't I believe the stat is they haven't allowed a point in the second half all year, which is Really pretty stunning. Uh, That first game, Maryland had three points total. Then we see Maryland, maybe they're actually pretty good on offense. You know, Um, Penn State really wasn't ready to go in that game the other day. And um, I kind of wonder if maybe James Franklin's still overrated by some people. I know he's a good recruiter, but, um, you know, he hasn't maximized their talent very well in some of these years, right? recently. So uh Northwestern, a very good defense. I don't think that's changed, but it seems like Northwestern's offense is maybe not as good as what it looked there against Maryland in week one. You know, we thought maybe they had a revival on offense and it seems like Northwestern's just going to play a lot of low scoring games again.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I bet Penn state at the three against Nebraska. I just, you know, I understand Nebraska moved the ball. They had the red zone turnovers, this and that, but that's been a hallmark for Adrian Martinez. I mean, that's not an outlier. That's not bad luck. That's not bad turnover fortune. That's just what Adrian Martinez does. And I don't know if it'll be him or Luke McCaffrey here this week, but Nebraska's got, you know, they they have problems and and they haven't been fixed in the three years that Scott Frost has been there. So I went ahead and took Penn State minus the three. They've been pretty good in the box score in two of their three games. The other one, they played Ohio State. So, you know, not many people are going to look good going up against the Buckeyes. I took Penn state. We'll see. It's probably the last chance for me uh, with James Franklin here, at least for this season. What about Indiana? You know, a lot of people really liked Indiana coming into the year. They get that win over Penn state, a very misleading one at that, but uh, they looked pretty good against Michigan last week. Yeah. And it's
1: hard to say whether that's more about Indiana or more about Michigan. I do think it's interesting that Indiana has 2.58 yards per carry so far this year. So it's hard to believe that you could have as much success through three games as indiana has but not be able to run the football at all Uh, michael Penix was able to throw on michigan all day long last week i was really surprised how bad michigan's defense was i mean that michigan defense is supposed to be good um good defensive coordinator everybody's thought he's a good defensive coordinator in the past and brown um you know indiana to me is a team that could be a bit overvalued in some of the weeks coming ahead i think over overvalued just because of um, you know, maybe the misleading win against Penn state and then, you know, do people still value the win over Michigan or not? I guess we'll see, uh, as time goes forward, but Indiana, I think is a offense that still has some issues. You know, if they're one-dimensional passing, uh, if you have a team with a good secondary, I think they could still struggle.
0: Well, and this is one of those things where if this trajectory continues, Ohio state's going to be like a 28 point favorite against Michigan. Uh, in that game, I believe it's December 12th. I want to say. Uh, is the day for that game harbaugh has got to be done right i mean uh, unless he somehow pulls off an upset as a four touchdown dog against ohio state or you know 20 anywhere from 24 to 28 wherever that line winds up falling this has to be it for harbaugh right it just has to be
1: i would think so i mean there's been rumors of it in the past and people talk about it but i mean nothing has been close to as bad as they've been these last couple games this is uh you know, pretty unacceptable from Michigan. I know he came out and said after the game last week, look, we're, we're close. We're really close. It doesn't, it's not showing so far, you know, they they haven't been really close and uh, that loss to Michigan state is going to look worse and worse as the season goes. Cause Michigan state is not good at all. Um, and Indiana, while they're certainly much better than Michigan state, Indiana is not a team where Michigan should be getting blown out like that. That's for sure. So um, to me, yeah, I think Harbaugh's got to pull a big upset. I don't know. I don't have their schedule right in front of me. I don't know if he has any other chance to pull a huge upset other than Ohio State. So uh, Michigan is as a team that I would think that at this point they have to go in a different direction. I know they made a big investment, but I don't know how you don't.
0: Well, and if you lose to Wisconsin this week, a team ravaged by COVID, not even going to have Graham Mertz or Jack Cohen, who's still out with foot surgery. I don't know if it's Chase Wolf. I don't know if it's whoever the hell the fourth string guy is. But Michigan's getting like four and a half, five at home. And I know the big house doesn't have 100,000 people and and whatever else. But you're playing a team that couldn't have fielded a roster last week. is down to a fourth string quarterback probably. And Chase Wolf might as well be fourth string because he's never really played at the collegiate level. And you're relatively healthy. I mean, they lost Aiden Hutchinson, and that's a problem for them. But you're relatively healthy, and you're still getting four and a half or five at home. That's it. I mean, you know, that that's just gotta be to me the the last straw, the final sign. And again, you know, for Michigan, you know, you got Ryan Day who sits in these kids' living rooms, or you know, one of his assistants, and obviously Ohio State has just phenomenal assistant coaches and coordinators. And they're sitting there telling you, Hey, come play in Columbus. Look at all the guys we got going to the NFL. And then your next visit's this square ass white dude in khakis named Jim Harbaugh, trying to get you to go to Ann Arbor the sales pitch just isn't the same. It's just not even close. And that's really been a problem is that Michigan, they're getting decent three and four star guys, maybe lower end five star guys. They're not getting explosive game changers anymore. And you have to at that university with that program's history and Harbaugh's not doing it. And even the talent that does show up there, they're not really maximizing it. So this really has to be the end, I think for Harbaugh there in Ann Arbor. And I just hope and pray as you and I've talked about before here, that it's not former Ohio State player and Ohio State defensive coach and interim head coach Luke Fickle that gets that job at Michigan.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope not. It'd make it more of a recruiting war in the state of Ohio. And um, while I think Ohio State would still have the leg up in recruiting, I know that Fickle is a huge upgrade from Harbaugh. So um, hopefully if Fickle goes somewhere else,
0: he doesn't go to Michigan as a Buckeyes fan. I certainly wouldn't want to see that. On the upside, man, that would inject life into the rivalry. Yeah. I mean, that that would be a massive storyline every single year Uh, that fickle is there. But in any event here, let's talk about some stats to consider some regression signs. then We'll get into some game breakdowns on this edition of ATS radio. Uh, You got some very, very good regression signs here. And uh, I guess the floor is yours. I'll let you start wherever you want to with those. So
1: let's start with Louisville because uh, the Cardinals are plus 0.63 yards per play margin on the year but they're minus 11 in turnovers. Um, This is one of the better positive regression candidates you'll ever see. Um, I still think Satterfield's a good coach. Um, I know that some people would have downgraded him quite a bit. Um, I'm not ready to jump off that bandwagon totally yet. Um, Louisville is going to score a lot of points on people. Can they stop enough people or not? Um, I would lean toward overs with them, and I'm going to lean toward taking Louisville even this week and in the future because – I think that there's a big positive regression candidate. You can't be plus 0.63 yards for play um, on a margin and, and have negative 11 turnover margin and not be considered a regression candidate.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good one here. We're seeing Virginia three and a half point favorite or so, total up to 66 and a half. So the market seemingly in agreement with you on that Louisville appears to be an over team here. Uh, as we move forward, the circa opener in that game was actually Virginia minus seven that got bet down pretty quickly. So kudos to anybody out there. Maybe Brad Powers is one of them uh, that picked up a seven on Louisville. And that one, my line's four and a half for that game, uh, for whatever it's worth. Staying in the ACC here, you got a note here about Pitt and how they're a positive regression candidate on the offensive side.
1: Yeah, Pitt's offense has 19 trips into the red zone so far this year. 15 scores, which is not great, but not terrible. But only nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns out of 19 trips is really bad. Pick it back, like I said, definitely helps as well. Uh, Pitt totals are going to be really low because their defense is good. I will note that Pitt's defense has lost several key guys the last few years. I don't remember offhand the name of the safety that uh, opted out of the rest of the season but they have a key secondary guy missing and then with uh, Twyman out for the year sitting out Pitt is not as good defensively as what they would have been if they were at full strength so I think Pitt's going to have a little bit higher scoring games than some people think so I'd be cautious about taking really low unders with Pitt and I also would think that Pitt could be a good team to back here based on offensive regression um, coming in a positive way.
0: Yeah, and that would be an important thing too, especially because as you said, they play a lot of lower scoring games or the expectation at least is that they're playing a lot of lower scoring games. Total has gone down a little bit this week, 51 the total for their game on the road at Georgia Tech. But if they're able to get sevens instead of threes, well, that should help a team that plays in a lot of low scoring environments. So I think Pitt definitely a good one to keep an eye on, especially as you mentioned. Uh, with Kenny Pickett back here. Uh, Good performance from him last week against Florida State. We'll see what he does here this week against Georgia Tech. Explosive plays, something else that we like to keep an eye on here as we go through these regression stats. You've got a few teams here that have picked up some explosive plays on offense and given up quite a few on defense.
1: Yeah, I think these are things that uh, more people should pay attention to. These explosive plays are really important because if you can get an explosive play uh, fairly often, it's a lot easier to score. You know, it's hard to get four or five yards every single play i mean a team maybe like army or something like that can do it but a lot of teams can't do that consistently Uh, western kentucky i I feel like they're the team remember was it last year that northwestern was the team that i used to beat up for the fact that they couldn't get any 20 yard plays (laughs) now it's western kentucky if we look at 30 yard plays they have four plays of 30 yards or more in eight games nevada has 11 in three games Now, that's, I mean, Nevada, I think, is a pretty good offense, uh, and I like their offense quite a bit, but four plays of 30 yards or more in eight games for Western Kentucky. uh, Pigrome has not really worked out there at quarterback. Western Kentucky's defense, I don't think, is as bad as what their stats would look. Their offense has put them in really bad spots. I mean, how do you consistently shut down the other team when you're having so many three and outs? Western Kentucky, a team that really is very big disappointment. And I would still want to look to take unders with them if I took anything on total. As far as some other explosive plays, um, New Mexico, they've allowed eight plays of 40 yards or more in two games. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen this before. This is really bad. The uh, Lobo is trying to learn that 3 uh, 3 defense, Rocky Long. Uh, look, I think Rocky Long's a good defensive coach. I think that he was put in a, a bad situation here. Not very good talent at all. Um, you know, New Mexico, uh, they're going to give up a lot of points this year. I think that they're, they're trying to play faster and establish a new type of play, but I don't think it's going to work very well with the defense that they have. The other one I wanted to say, as far as explosive plays, who has allowed the most 50 yard or more rushes in a season. So this is uh, 50 yard gainers or more in the rushing attack, Minnesota. They've allowed four of them. They've done it in three games. Um, that's really hard to do. Uh, Minnesota has some serious problems on defense Uh, I couldn't bet an under with them uh, no matter what Uh, this week I I did kind of like the over on the open and um, I bet that one just so I'd be able to at least get a middle uh, back the other way because I knew that one would go up but you know it's hard to take too many overs with Iowa so you know Minnesota is a team that I think is going to continue to give up points um, throughout the course of the season but you know I can't believe that that defense has been that bad.
0: Yeah, I can't believe that defense has been that bad either. And, and I do like Minnesota from a power rating standpoint. And just I think it's a buy low opportunity here on them getting three and a half at home against Iowa. So that is a play of mine uh for this week here, taking a look at Minnesota. Um, to your point, about 30 yards or more plays, North Texas has 24 in five games. So another team that's really had good success moving the football also can't stop anything. I mean, their defense is just deplorable. So North Texas, one of those teams that's pretty explosive on offense, just not really able to stop the opposition much. Another thing that we like to take a look at, third and fourth down success. I think these are very important as well. We've keyed in on a lot of these teams. Some of them have regressed. Some of them haven't. For example, Marshall really hasn't regressed. Also, Marshall really hasn't played anybody. So that's one where, you know, we would expect regression, but it hasn't come because of the quality of competition. Maybe we'll see some more regressions from these teams here that we're going to mention.
1: Yeah, and Marshall plays Middle Tennessee this weekend. So, I mean, who who wants to bet Middle Tennessee there? Not me. So, uh, Marshall, hopefully we'll get a spot where we can go against them at some point. But UNLV, 10 for 12 on fourth down conversion so far this year. I think UNLV's offense is not as good as it looks uh, from the stats. Um, UNLV may be a team that may be improving under their new head coach. I, their defense has been a bit better than, than what I would have expected, but their offense looks pretty fraudulent to me. I think that UNLV could be a good team to either go against or take some unders with here going forward, Texas A&M 49 for 79 on third down 62%. This ain't continuing. We know this. So um, I still think Texas A&M is overvalued. I think Kellen Mond still has a lot to prove and there's really big games and um, you know, Texas A&M last week beat up on South Carolina really bad, but I think that said a lot more about South Carolina than it does about Texas A&M. And to me still uh, Texas A&M could be a good team to fade in the week's uh, upcoming.
0: Yeah. And and all you have to do is take a look at the line for South Carolina this week, going up from seven to 11 against old miss big favorite role for an old miss defense. That is not very good, but. I think it's a pretty good indication of just how poor the South Carolina Gamecocks are uh, for this season. Yeah. For A&M. I mean, look, you know, they're pushing teams around. They're playing very, very well on the offensive line. They're running the football very effectively. Mond has had a lot of time to make plays. He's been able to do so. Hopefully if the COVID situations clear up a little bit here in the SEC, we'll get some chances to see A&M against some better teams, but uh, you know, for now things kind of in a holding pattern, as far as that conference goes. Uh, one other one I want to mention here. Again, we've talked about Oklahoma State quite a bit. And I know you had some thoughts, uh, some misleading box score stuff for Oklahoma State and Kansas State last week, much like I did. But Oklahoma State here, 21 for 90. Opponents on third down, 23.33%. Notre Dame, the only other team really in that stratosphere in terms of teams that have played, you know, at least five or six games. That has to change at some point here in the Big 12, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense is much improved, but they're not that good. Um, nobody can keep that going. And uh, even though we think Oklahoma State's defense is very solid now, they're certainly not a you know top three or four defense in the country. So they're not going to be able to keep that up. Oklahoma State had a misleading game that went against them last week in Texas, and then they had one that went in their favor this week against Kansas State. Uh, That scoop and score was the difference there in that game. Uh, Kansas State should have won that game at 5.6 yards per play. Oklahoma State only 4.1, but I think that's a good point. Uh, Oklahoma State defensively has been so good on third down. They still are um, very efficient on offense. Usually they weren't this past weekend against Kansas State, but I think that would make you hesitant to take low Oklahoma State unders based on that third down
0: stat. Yeah, Kansas State plus what was a twelve and a half last week. Uh, I was on that one. That was a, a very good play. Just the line just felt wrong. And, and quite frankly, if I get Chris Kleiman in double digits against anybody, I mean, I got to do it. The, the guy's just he's an exceptional coach. They're so good on special teams. They just make a lot of things happen. So had to take Kansas State in that one. They did cover. Um, you know, I did finally get my power rating to where it's supposed to be on Oklahoma State. So I'll, I'll pat myself on the back for that one here. All right, so let's get to some game breakdowns, kind of take a look at some of these matchups here for this week. Seven weeknight games left to go. Central Michigan, NIU tonight, Eastern Michigan, Ball State, Toledo, Western Michigan. On Thursday, Colorado State, Boise State. Friday, Fort Atlantic and FIU, Iowa, Minnesota, East Carolina, and Cincinnati. Real quick, just glossing over those seven games. Anything you like, anything you would consider playing in any of those games?
1: Um, you know, I I like uh, as far as tonight's games. Um, a Central Michigan would be my lean. This, this game has gone up a little bit. Um, I don't like Northern Illinois. I would lean over and Central Michigan in that game. Also, lean over in the Toledo and Western Michigan game. I think that both uh, defenses are at a bit of a disadvantage there. If you look at Toledo and um, Central Michigan or in, and uh, Western Michigan, Western Michigan. The question about them is how good is Ellaby going to be at quarterback? Uh, Wasink was solid last year. If Ellaby can be good enough this year, they have a really good offensive line. This Western Michigan offensive line is certainly the best in the Mac uh, Western Michigan. though lost a lot from defense last year, lost six of the top 10 tacklers. Toledo is going to be solid on offense. I think they'll get better quarterback play this year. I think that both teams will have trouble stopping the opposition. The weather doesn't really look that bad for that game either. So um, I think that's probably my favorite is the over in that game in Toledo and Western Michigan, you know, uh, on the side on that one, I know that this is a hard one for me. I think you probably have a stronger opinion on Toledo and Western Michigan on the side. These are two teams that I want to bet on. So I don't really want to bet against either of these two teams. So I kind of just did a quick pass on this game, but uh, interested to hear your thoughts here.
0: Yeah, I took Toledo plus the three. I have Toledo favored in this game. So I went ahead and took the Rockets plus the three, sprinkled the money line a little bit down to two, two and a half, pretty much market wide. We'll see if this is one of those big game day moves here uh, or not. But I know a lot of people were pretty high on Toledo coming into the season. I'm going to go ahead and trust that projection a little bit uh, because I also have the Rockets favored in this one. So took a small piece of that one, not anything overly big or anything like that because – I've got a wrong team favorite situation in a conference where we've seen one data point for all these teams. So maybe I just don't have the correct power rating, but I went ahead and took Toledo at the three, uh, two and a half, two, two and a half. Don't love it as much here, but there could be some live betting opportunities uh, in a game like that. We'll do a highlight video for TCU and West Virginia here in just a minute, but another game that just kind of caught my eye and it's not one that I necessarily had a strong opinion on it's not one that i have a power ratings play on but as i'm kind of thinking about it vanderbilt and kentucky here you talk about bad games i know we joke all the time about the bad games that you watch this will be a pretty bad game on saturday i think but i kind of like vanderbilt getting 17 here very low total of 42 and furthermore last week and maybe mississippi state's defense isn't that good i don't know but last week vanderbilt outgained mississippi state 478 to 204. The Commodores were minus five in turnover margin and still only lost that game by seven. I don't know if maybe Derek Mason kind of figured some things out there with Vanderbilt, but Kentucky laying 17 here in a game where points are at a premium with a total of 42. I think I might take Vanderbilt here.
1: This one would fit that angle that I talked about earlier this year, taking an underdog um, in a low totaled game. Uh, you know, it's certainly the right play. If you just do this over and over again, you get 17 points with a total of 41 and a half or 42. I considered the under in this game. I looked at this game quite a bit. My question is whether Vanderbilt can stop Kentucky from running the football because Kentucky can't throw it. We all know that Um, Kentucky's defense is pretty good. And I don't think Vanderbilt will score very many points, but Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about whether Vandy can stop them running. Last year, Kentucky ran all over them. Now, I know Kentucky is not as good offensively as they were last year, but still uh, Vanderbilt's run defense is a bit of a concern. I do think, though, that from that game last week, I think that says a lot about Mississippi State. I mean, Mississippi State, remember they won that first game and everybody was like, wow, Mike Leach comes in the SEC and he takes over right away wow, the narrative has changed really fast there on Mississippi State. That's for sure. My lean would be Vanderbilt in this game, but this is a hard one for me. I I think I would pass on this game,
0: honestly. No, fair enough. I just – I saw it. I also wanted to give you a heads up on the highlight video coming up because we do these games by rotation number. But I saw it and I thought, man, that's that's a big number for a Kentucky team that really hasn't looked super polished – at almost any point this season. I mean, defensively, they played pretty well. I think back to their game against Georgia, but we've come to find out that Georgia's offense just isn't very good. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll take a piece of Vanderbilt there, one of those uh, hold-your-nose types of plays. But by the way, Mississippi State was a 15-and-a-half-point underdog to Auburn at home uh, before that game got canceled, and my line wasn't as close to that, despite a big downgrade uh, of Mississippi State coming out of that game from last weekend. With that, we will do a highlight video here on this Big 12 matchup game, 141-142. TCU and West Virginia, 3-45.5, and, 45 and a half. pretty much the numbers across the market. Shop around for the best prices, as always here. But the Mountaineers laying three, and I got to say, not really an easy trip to get to Morgantown, plus play early here for TCU. Yeah, so my numbers on this game, West Virginia minus four and a
1: total of 45. I wanted to play the under in this game, but they put it out too low for me. Um, TCU, a team that I like taking unders with, and I think West Virginia is a really good defense. That defensive line really impresses me quite a bit. They can get in the backfield. If you look at this, so TCU has really not been very good this year. They're negative 0.46 yards per play. so really bad yards per play margin on the year. West Virginia plus 1.21 yards per play. I will say... Um, You know, if you look at TCU, they played the 18th strength of schedule so far this year, according to Sagarin, West Virginia 74th. So West Virginia has not played a very good schedule so far this year. But the thing about TCU that that I don't like at all is they're not explosive at all on offense. 25 plays of 20 yards or more in six games, not a big play offense at all. Um, They don't have very many weapons around their quarterback at all. And TCU is not a very good offensive line either. I think West Virginia's defensive front, has a pretty big advantage in this game. So, you know, I, I think this is one where West Virginia would be the side I'd like here. And I think you and I agree on this one. Honestly, you know, TCU has gotten a lot of uh, favorability in the past from the fact that Gary Patterson's been good as an underdog. Although if you look at some of his more recent games, he hasn't been quite as good as an underdog. 26 and 17 against the spread in his last 43 as an underdog. So longer term, it still looks pretty good. But, you know, I think West Virginia is a well-coached team that's really Uh, Improving quite a bit. And to me, West Virginia is the side here if I'm taking a side in this game. And I I am strongly considering this one. I like West Virginia here. Like I said, I do like the under as well. I don't think TCU is going to score very many points in this game. So, West Virginia, a tough place to go. Like you said, it's not what it usually is with all the fans and everything, but West Virginia is still the toughest travel spot they have in that conference for a team like TCU. So, TCU, a team that I'd like to go against West Virginia a team that I'm, I'm fine betting on.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about this game too. This is not a power ratings play for me. I've got it West Virginia minus three and a half. As you said, you've got it West Virginia minus four. This is a matchup play to me. This is a situation where, okay, West Virginia's defense hasn't been tested a whole lot. They've played a weaker strength of schedule. That's fine. I do think they regress as the season goes along. I don't think TCU is the kind of offense that damages their current reputation. I think when they step up and play against, you know, a team like Oklahoma or somebody like that, maybe even you know, even last week against Texas, they played very well defensively against Sam Ellinger and a pretty good Texas offense. So there will be spots where West Virginia's defense does falter a little bit. I don't think this is one of them. You mentioned their strength in the trenches on the defensive line. Duggan has been hit a ton for TCU. He's far and away TCU's leading rusher. That's never a good thing when he's not a true dual threat guy. TCU doesn't have weapons. West Virginia has got a very, very good base defense. They're probably not the most athletic defense in this conference, but they don't have to be against TCU early kickoff, long trip, long travel, tough place to go up in the Appalachian mountains. West Virginia. For me, this is a consensus opinion from us here on ATS radio with a look at West Virginia, minus three, I think the under could very well be in play as well as you mentioned earlier, but I just think West Virginia stacks up really well. I think Neil Brown has this program going in the right direction, and I can't say the same for Gary Patterson.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't love fading Gary Patterson usually, but I don't think he has very good talent this year. And and West Virginia usually may be at a talent disadvantage against TCU. I don't think that's a fact this year. Um, I like West Virginia here. I think minus three is a very fair price.
0: I think so, too. So there you go. A consensus play here from host Adam Burke and professional veteran handicapper Kyle Hunter of huntersportspicks.com on this highlight video on ATS Radio. Check out our ATS YouTube page. Subscribe to that content. And, of course, subscribe to our full editions here of ATS Radio, which you can find on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, with that, we take a look down the board a couple of spots here. Not going to do a highlight video on this game, but we are going to talk about it. Notre Dame and Boston College, 147-148. And, in fact, some movement here today on the Notre Dame side, up to 13 and a half with a total of 50 in what we all know is a bad situational spot for Notre Dame. Yeah, I figured you knew why I wanted to talk about this game. This is just the awful spot for Notre Dame.
1: How could you uh, be really up for this game if you're Notre Dame coming off the win that they just had? And look, I I know that Boston College considers this a big rivalry game. Does Notre Dame still consider this a big rivalry game? I'm not sure. I think this is one of those uh, big brother games. So I, I think that, Uh, little brother in this situation little brother is boston college big brother is uh notre dame and notre dame to me if you get up to 14 or 14 and a half which this it's going to happen this this thing's going to go to 14 or 14 and a half um maybe some buyback if you hit 14 and a half but i think this one will be 14 for notre dame i like boston college in this one i think this would be a lower scoring game i like the under in this one too i think that both teams are being pretty cautious right now and look Notre Dame's offense had quite a bit of success last week, but they haven't exactly been an offensive juggernaut for the course of the season. If you look at Notre Dame stats, offensively, they've only been somewhat, uh, somewhat good. You know, Ian book has been inconsistent. They had a really poor offensive game against Louisville a few games ago. I don't, I don't trust Notre Dame to cover a big number. Boston college now running the ball a lot more and playing very slowly. Notre Dame also playing really slowly. There's not going to be many possessions in this game. So, plus 14 or better. I like Boston college here. And I like the under in this game. I think both teams will um, grind it out here. And it could be a lower scoring game, which is, you know, obviously it it, um, correlates with each other
0: liking Boston college and the under. Yeah. I like your breakdown on this game. The, uh, the Phil Jerkovic revenge game uh, here for Boston college, the Notre Dame transfer, of course, a few things about this game. The first one is if if you think the situational spot is some big advantage over the sports books, It's not. It's priced into this number without a doubt. My pure power rating number on this game is 16. Probably regress it back to 15 a little bit with the low total. The spot is factored in for this game without a doubt. A couple of things. One, I like what you said about Boston College and the physicality of this game. Jeff Halfley at the outset, they were throwing the ball 40, 50, 60 times almost out of necessity. Now they're running the ball. They had 47 rushing attempts last week. That's kind of been the trend going forward for them. They're back to that physical brand of Boston college football And until Halfley can start recruiting for what he wants to do. That's what he has to do with this team because that's what they were recruited for under Steve Adasio. Now what that means for Notre Dame here coming off of a very, very emotional double overtime game against Clemson. Will they wear down in the second half of this game? Will they be worn down at the outset of this game? Good live betting opportunity here. If if Boston College is moving the ball on the ground and they have the chance to wear Notre Dame down a little bit, I think they are definitely a play on team. I think you could even start with that pregame position that you mentioned uh, if this one gets to 14, and it probably will. The second thing here is this is a dramatic change of pace for Notre Dame because they just played a very athletic Clemson team. Now they're going to play a plotting, methodical three yards in a cloud of dust Boston college team. I think that's kind of where the hangover or the letdown sort of comes into play. You get up for this game against these elite athletes, elite competition scouts, watching from home all over the country. Now you play Boston college. It's just going to be a different type of game. I think that's where you can kind of lull yourself to sleep a little bit if you're Notre Dame. So the spot is factored into the line, but I think in terms of the gameplay and the game state, could be tough for Notre Dame to be engaged at times here.
1: I agree. You know, you're not going to get just uh, an edge on the books with the spot. I do still think that with a low total and with the situation of uh, not just, you know, it's not only Notre Dame coming off that big win. It's also Boston college is more up for this game than is Notre Dame. I believe, you know, Notre Dame um, has big games going forward. I believe they play North Carolina after this. So, you know, they have a week off, but Notre Dame, uh, then plays North Carolina. Notre Dame is not going to be um, up for playing Boston College the same way Boston College is going to be up to play them. And I like Brian Kelly better as an underdog than as a favorite. So, you know, I think Notre Dame's the team that that'll win this game. But You know, I think that could be a good live betting opportunity. The other thing is I'd like to live bet the under if somebody scores right away in this game, because I think if somebody gets ahead here, you know, if Notre Dame gets ahead here, I don't think they throw it around all the time. I think they're happy to to play the slower paced game that, you know, maybe you get a live total of 56 or something like that, and you're able to take the under. So even if you don't get in before the game, I think this could be a good opportunity here.
0: No, I think that's an excellent point. That's a very excellent point there. Sharp breakdown from you on that Notre Dame and Boston College game. Uh, as we look up and down the rest of the board here, and, and we are going to do a highlight video on SMU and Tulsa here in a couple of minutes, it's a tough card. There there aren't a lot of, of super exciting games. I did mention on Monday's show that I've got Miami favored against Virginia Tech, so I did play the Hurricanes in that one, plus two, plus two and a half, uh, sprinkled the money line a little bit in that one as well. UCF, massive favorite against a bad Temple team, Ohio State, big favorite against a good Maryland offense and an atrocious Maryland defense. Buckeyes have scored at least 49 in uh, every one of their recent games here against Maryland. So they should be able to name their point total. We'll see if the defense plays a little bit better. We talked Wisconsin-Michigan already. Indiana-Michigan State, uh, tough game. Indiana laying seven, seven and a half in that one. Uh, Northwestern and Purdue is a game that I kind of like a little bit here. Threes sort of starting to pop back up a little bit on Northwestern. I like Purdue a little bit in that one. Any thoughts from you?
1: I like the under some in that one. I think Northwestern's going to keep games lower scoring. Um, not sure if Rondale Moore is going to play in this game, and that definitely means quite a bit. Look, David Bell's a really good wide receiver, too. And I think if they can get Moore and Bell both out on the field at the same time, I think they'll be very good. Um, Brahms' offense I always like, but I think that Northwestern's defense can slow them down enough. I don't know that I like Purdue, even though my power ratings uh, suggest uh, taking that side, just as, as you would say. So I'm not going to take Purdue on the side, but I do kind of like the under in this game. I think Northwestern offensively, still a bit of a question mark. I think their defense is very good. Uh, I think they'll continue to keep people lower scoring. So 50 and a half right now. There was a 51. I, I,
0: I like the under some in this one. Rutgers, a conference favorite for the first time since 2014. So that's kind of an interesting little spot as Rutgers looks a lot better in Illinois. Maybe not as good uh, as some people had hoped coming into this season. What about some of these Pac-12 games here this week? Cal, Arizona State, Arizona State, three and a half point favorite, total 47. USC laying two scores on the road at Arizona, total 67 and that one. Arizona not able to play last week uh, as there were some COVID concerns in that one. Oregon up to 10, 10 and a half against Washington state, Washington, 13 and a half against Oregon state. One I did play here. I played this one this morning, just kind of out of principle, uh, Utah. I got three and a half on Utah against UCLA. That line's down to three. Now I'm surprised to see that one, uh, moving against my number a little bit, but, uh, as far as PAC 12, any, anything kind of uh, catch your eye here in this conference?
1: You know, I think, the Cal game is probably pretty likely to get canceled again this week. So I won't go too in depth about that one. Um, you know, Cal has quite a few different rules and regulations that it's going to be hard for them to play. I, don't, I wonder when they're going to be able to play, but um, you know, USC game is an interesting one to me because I don't like laying points with Clay Helton, at the same time, not a Kevin someone guy at all. So um, over probably in that game, I will say that I think you and I both had, um, from some of our notes that last week's game, USC and Arizona state was just a weird game. I mean, they started at 9am their time, all kinds of turnovers. Um, it had rained quite a bit right before the game. The field was kind of sloppy that this is a, uh, I don't know what to make fr- take from that game going forward about USC. I know Slovis is a really good quarterback. I think he's going to be able to move the ball on a lot of defenses very well just through the air. They have good wide receivers. Um, I don't know what to make of the Arizona offense so far. So I guess that's a pretty high total. Do I want to lay that many points on the road with USC? I really don't. I mean, you know, Clay Helton, uh, he's still, it's still Clay Helton here, even though he has much better talent. Um, you know, as far as that game, I, I'm I'm going to stay away. I think USC, if I had to take something, I guess I'd take them because I don't want to take um, Kevin Sumlin's team. But at the same time, I think several of these games in the Pac-12 are pretty difficult this week. Um, let's see. We've got Cal and Arizona State, like I said, probably be canceled. Um, Oregon State, Washington. I would lean toward taking Washington here. Um, you know, I took the under in this game. I will say this this was a release of mine. This one's been bet down really hard, so I won't be able to sell this one or anything. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say I took the under here. Um, it's hard to take the under five and a half points lower now, but, um, I think this, this game, what, what did you have lined? it lined? I had this one lined at 51 and a half. Okay. So here we are at what 52 and a half 52. So, um, if I had to take something still, I'd take the under, um, I didn't bet it really big because it's the first game for Washington. I don't like betting, uh, taking a huge position when I haven't seen anything, but I do think Jimmy Lake's team is going to want to run the football as much as they can and be really physical, Um, I don't think either team here is going to play quickly at all. The the one concern I have is that Oregon State's run defense was so bad last week that maybe Washington can accidentally score quite a few points in this game.
0: And I would lean toward Washington minus the points if I had to take a side here. I think that was a spot. I, I don't want to give Oregon State a complete pass because we know their defense really has been a work in progress for Jonathan Smith. But also maybe something we didn't key in on enough last week is that Washington state goes from the air raid to the run and shoot. And I said, well, it's not going to be that much different, but it is because you run the football a lot more. And I think maybe Oregon state just wasn't prepared for that. And I think you should be because Washington state was sending out a true freshman in Jaden Delora to make his first career college start, but they had it run down their throat and maybe they didn't realize that Washington state was going to run the football as much as they did. And in fact, Washington state didn't even have their best running back in Borgie in that game. So No, that's one of those things where I may give Oregon state a pass, just saying, I don't think that they knew fully what was coming, but we'll see if that run defense gets any better here uh, for this week. One other game that you and I kind of talked about a little bit uh, off air in the PAC 12, Colorado and Stanford. Both of us have this number quite a bit higher on the Stanford side. I have it 12 and a half. I think you're sort of in that range as well. Right now it's seven and Colorado A good pick last week on the show for me. I gave out Colorado at plus seven, plus six and a half. They win the game outright. Weird game. They were plus four in turnover margin. They missed three field goals. Uh, They got out to a big lead and kind of gave it back. Strange game. Stanford, as we talked about at the top of the show, they looked okay against Oregon, all things considered, missing their quarterback to COVID right before the game. I don't know, maybe this one's a little cheap and and maybe the team from Palo Alto is worth a look here.
1: Definitely a strong lean for me. I, I might bet this game. I see a couple six and a halfs here, and I think six and a half is a good buy point here on Stanford. If you take Stanford in this game and Mills ends up playing, the line's going to go up quite a bit. If Mills isn't playing, the line's not going to go down, right? I mean, because it, it can't get lower than six and a half. I mean, if, if it does, not much lower. Colorado, I think perception might be a little too high on them after that game. UCLA is a mess. I mean, they they were falling all over themselves in that first quarter. Um, Colorado had one where they ran it back to the one yard line. I think they had one where they actually scored on defense and and, you know this uh, UCLA offense has been a turnover machine several years in a row. DTR I I don't know I mean he's talented but he turns it over a lot UCLA really doesn't have very many good pieces around him either so Colorado has a good home field advantage and we know that now they're not at home Um, they come off a game where the perception gets them quite a bit higher I do like Stanford in this game
0: and a big win for their new head coach too, Carl Durrell which was one of the angles I talked about last week he played at UCLA you know, was a position coach at UCLA. So that was a big game for him, big game for the program and for his team to rally around him. Maybe this week we find out that Colorado's not quite as good on, you know, again, that line move on Stanford last week, something that kind of sticks out in my mind. I mean, that was a significant move for two teams that have had a lot of guys opt out due to COVID. And then, you know, the line does go back up to 11 because of Mills, but that was seven and a half, eight and maybe threatening going to seven. Uh, you know, before all that stuff broke about COVID. So that sticks in my mind here that maybe Stanford a little bit of a cheap price here this week against Colorado. One more game, then we'll get to the highlight video here. Game 199-200, Coastal Carolina and Troy. Coastal anywhere from 10 to an 11-point favorite. Total on this game, 53. Uh, This was a game that you and I wanted to make sure we talked about because I think it's a pretty interesting game. Yeah,
1: you know, we we like talking about Coastal because they're a really good story. And I I wanted to say, you know, everybody talks about the Coastal offense. And the Coastal offense has been really good this year. But the Coastal defense is kind of underrated. This this team's been pretty good defensively. I read a a story before the season that Coastal wanted to be really aggressive on defense. That's exactly what they've done. They have 25 sacks this year. Uh, This is a team that is giving up some big plays because they're so aggressive defensively. But they're getting those havoc plays to get teams behind the sticks very often, and the Coastal offense has been a machine. They move really slowly but are very efficient. Look, you don't get the ball very many times when you play against Coastal. If you get behind the sticks and can't get a first down, you probably won't get it back for a long time. Coastal's going to methodically move the ball down the field. Um, maybe due for some regression on offense as we've talked about in the past because they've been so efficient in the red zone on third down. But uh, Chadwell's doing a great job with this team. We don't know yet if Troy's uh, quarterback Watson is going to play in this game or not. His backup looked pretty good for a couple games and then looked really bad last week. Um, I think if I had to play a side here, I'd take Coastal. I kind of like the under a little bit. I think Coastal unders have value. I did have the under in their game last week and won with that um that game was just totally ground to a halt you know later in the game it was pretty high scoring in the first quarter then Coastal gets a lead and just runs and runs and runs and runs and runs runs the clock if Coastal gets a lead they're a team that you could take a live under with too because uh, they're happy to run the clock out and uh that defense is going to give up a bunch so I, I think this could be a live betting angle too if we see a high scoring first quarter
0: yeah, I think so, too. I think this one makes sense. And, and one thing I will say about Troy, in their seven games this year, they've allowed 18 sacks. And if Gunnar Watson, the more experienced of their two quarterbacks, isn't out there, you worry about Jacob Free, and you worry about that pressure that's coming. I do think Chip Lindsay's an excellent head coach. I think he will find his way into an upgraded job, maybe not after this season, but probably after next season. Uh, I do think he'll either go to a better group of five or maybe like a low-end power five type of job something like that so maybe Troy one of the better coach teams that Coastal's played here to this point and the other team that they played that's really well coached is Louisiana and Louisiana almost outgained Coastal despite only having the ball for about 21 minutes and change in that game so if Troy can find some big plays they can hang around in this one that's a big if I don't have as strong of an opinion on this game as you do I will say it's quite a bit off from my power rating. So I think I'm still a little bit too high on Troy or maybe too low on Coastal. Uh, but I can't fault you for looking at the under here.
1: Yeah, I think if, if Watson does play here too, he has a rib injury and that, that's nothing he could be too excited to see a defense that's going to bring as much pressure as what Coastal Carolina is going to here. So um, even if Watson plays, I think the under might be a good play. If he does play here, we might see the total go up some too. So
0: watch that as we get here later in the week. Yeah, he does play this also a pace war game, too, as Troy, one of the fastest teams in the country, Coastal, one of the slowest. All right, with that, we'll do a highlight video here on game 207-208, SMU and Tulsa from the AAC. Tulsa, two and a half point favorite, pretty much market wide, though you are paying for that two and a half, minus 115, minus 120, 64 the total for this one. Joined by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. Kyle, what do you think about this SMU and Tulsa matchup here? So I
1: don't have a big power ratings overlay, but I like Tulsa in this game. My numbers here on this game, Tulsa minus three total of 65 and a half. Also lean to the over. I will say that we should check the weather report as we get closer to this game. It looks like it'll be fairly windy here in Tulsa for this game. I think Tulsa had their close call last week. It it should have been of their last game. It should have been a loss against East Carolina. Wake up call. I think it could be SMU has allowed 17 sacks already this year. Can they throw it around here? I think that's really the key to the handicap because SMU is really good in the passing game. Tulsa doesn't blitz very much, but they do have a good defensive front. uh, Tulsa's only played four games. SMU has played eight games. Who does that help? I don't know if there's a right answer to that question, but it's a pretty big difference. SMU has 31 plays of 30 yards or more so far this year. That's first in the country. I will say SMU has not really played up to competition very well so far this year. They could have easily lost to Memphis at home. Uh, Memphis hasn't really been that great here lately. I mean, they were very fortunate to beat uh, South Florida and then that game against Cincinnati still stays in my mind. You know, Cincinnati is a really good team, but SMU was just, totally uh beaten up in that game Cincinnati's secondary is the best in the AAC so I'm not suggesting that Tulsa can shut them down the same way that Cincinnati did at the same time I like this Tulsa team I think they're in a good situational spot here off disappointing performance and up against an SMU team riding high you know to me stock is about as high on SMU as it can get right now and we like to talk about you know you can buy stocks sell stocks you want to Sell high, buy low. I think this is a sell high spot for SMU. SMU is not a very good defense. They're totally reliant on that passing game. I think Tulsa is good enough on offense to move the ball consistently against them. I like Tulsa minus two and a half here.
0: Yeah, I think to some degree, this is a little bit of a buy low spot on Tulsa as well, coming off of that performance, which a lot of people saw because it was on TV and because there were some things that happened within that game that got a lot of run. So this is a spot where that's the thing that people remember about Tulsa. It's not, they don't remember the good things about Tulsa. Tulsa's performance against UCF, uh, the Tulsa line movement against Cincinnati in the game that was canceled. They remember what we saw last against East Carolina, and it wasn't a great look. I agree with you. I think it's a good spot to play on Tulsa. Not a power rings play for me. My line's only two and a half on this game, but Tulsa to a degree is a poor man Cincinnati in that they've got a good defense. They've got an, a passable offense. and SMU, we saw them struggle with Cincinnati very badly. We don't need Tulsa to cover seven or 10 or 14. We need them to cover two and a half or three. So I think Tulsa is the play here in this one. And lastly, for SMU, you know they lose James Prochet to the NFL. They lose uh, Reggie Roberson to an ACL. It takes time. For new wide receivers that get out there to create separation one thing you don't have against Tulsa's defensive line is time so I like Tulsa in this one as well a consensus opinion from us here on ATS radio Tulsa minus two and a half or if you have to take a cheap three still worth looking at there in that game against SMU you can find these highlight videos on our ATS YouTube page or you can subscribe to the full editions of ATS radio Kyle, anything else on the college football side that you want to mention here before we uh, sign off for today's show? Uh, Can I put you on the spot here for a minute
1: with a trivia question? Go ahead. All right. So I almost did this when we were doing the video, and I decided I'd save it for later. I didn't didn't want to throw you off on the video too much, but I've got a question for you. So on the spot, can you guess which coach has the highest ROI as an underdog? in the last 15 years now they have to have a sample size of 20 games or more so it's not somebody that just has two or three games which coach do you think has done the best ATS
0: as an underdog best ATS as an underdog well let's see last 15 year uh man is it I'm just wondering like is somebody like Matt Campbell or you know Tom Irm do they even have enough games to qualify Campbell's
1: really high on the list. Herman's pretty high, too. Number one here is Brian Kelly. Um, I was surprised by this. 31-13 and ATS is an underdog. So last week's game, obviously, is one of them. Uh, Who was number one was Bill Snyder, but obviously Bill Snyder not coaching. You you would have been able to guess that one, certainly. Um, But I, I thought that was a little bit surprising to see Brian Kelly as the top underdog coach. Um, right behind him had been Matt rule. Obviously he's not a Baylor anymore. So he's a
0: pretty good um, underdog coach in the NFL.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously he's proving to be a good underdog coach wherever he goes, Matt Campbell, right behind him. So Matt Campbell would be second among
0: uh, current coaches, but Brian Kelly, number one. That is very surprising. Very, very surprising to say the least. I, I don't think much of Brian Kelly either. So that definitely makes it surprising. Before we sign off, I, I assume you want to talk about Rice and Louisiana Tech, right? Or Southern Miss and Western Kentucky, something like that.
1: I'm just upset that Monroe and Arkansas State was canceled because that would have been a really good one to break down. UTEP um, and UTSA? UTEP and UTSA, yeah. I mean, honestly, in that game. <laughs> you, have you have to talk- play in that game. so I, I You have a play in that hard. game? No, I said
0: you do, don't you?
1: Yeah, I do. Although I see this game is not on the board most places. This is This probably going to get canceled, I assume. so. Probably. I don't know. I mean, but.
0: They're robbing us of the best games of the week. I,
1: I know. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing when they cancel some of the SEC games. When you take a game like this away, that's pretty upsetting. No? What about
0: Alabama being 28 against L? I mean, the game's not going to get played. But 28 yeah, it's, against LSU. Damn. I mean, it's for amazing a coming off of a national right, netty right. to be a four-touchdown yeah. dog in any game. And frankly, I, I wouldn't have touched LSU in that game for what it's worth.
1: Definitely not. Definitely not. So I, I think that that was a really interesting line. Um, You know, if I had to say one more game that I think is kind of interesting is North Texas and UAB, because this is a pace war game.
0: Right. Okay. It's not a joke. There's a method to the madness. Okay. We got to lead
1: up the listeners to college basketball coming before too long. You That's know, true. I love those pace wars and that, but north texas is the fastest team in the country nobody plays as fast as them like you said they have tons of huge plays but their defense can't stop anybody uab is a team that wants to play slowly and win those lower scoring games it's interesting to see the money come in on the under here this week i never thought anybody would be taking unders with north texas uh obviously uab is the reason they're doing that i would lean uab minus the points in that game um also lean to the over there i can't take an under with north texas
0: no, I, I don't really have too much of a thought on that. Game. You'll, see, it's always interesting to me when you see these teams that are you know pretty slow, usually defense-oriented, and you see a total in the mid-60s for them, and, and, and I understand why North Texas is fast, and like we talked about already, their defense is terrible, but it's like UAB's offense is very good. I mean, they're pretty inefficient. Their quarterback play has been abominable this year, and maybe they just run it down North Texas's throat for like 400 yards, but... I don't know. It's it's one of those games that so many people just kind of throw away and gloss over. But at the same time, like, I don't know, if you like North Texas, you got to think it's higher scoring. If you like UAB, you got to think it's lower scoring, right? Kind of a correlation there.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, like you said, a lot of people throw it away. Heck, you laughed at me for bringing it up. So, <laughs> no, I mean, I have to bring up one of these every week. I mean, I feel like it's, uh, you know, I have to meet my quota. So, um, Here I can't take an under with North Texas. I've watched them too much. I will say North Texas and law tech last week over was going to be a big play of mine. um, And then they canceled that game. So North Texas overs, I'll continue to look at Uh, UAB. Like you said, the quarterback play has been so questionable, but I don't know if
0: they need a good quarterback here against North Texas. Imagine being somebody who says I've watched North Texas too much. (laughs) I mean, I've, I have not seen a minute of a North Texas game here so far, and I've watched them You're too missing much. missing out. Am I? I you uh, know what? I they're, they're kind of fun. I mean, they were really fun with Mason Fine, and when they still had Graham Harrell and, you know, I – I don't know. We, you know, we do this all the time in college basketball, though, too. And I guess that's a pretty good segue and transition to the end of the show. College basketball is supposed to start in two weeks time. Our Thanksgiving recording schedule will kind of be a mess, by the way. Um, You know, just obviously with the holiday, we're going to be switching some things around and stuff like that. But, you know, we talk under the radar all the time in college basketball. So if you want to hear Duke versus North Carolina and all those kinds of things, we'll talk about them but our focus is on making money and the way to make money in college basketball is those under the radar conferences to say the least.
1: Absolutely. So if you want to hear about, uh, you know, UCR, Irvine do. and teams and like you that. You want
0: to hear about the big West and, uh, right. God, what else? The, the, uh, big sky. We talk a lot of big sky, the summit, oh, yeah. the
1: Atlantic sunbelt. Sun yeah. Stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, so, if you haven't listened before, damn it, I am uh, getting excited about college basketball. I know, though. I know. I'm, I'm glad I am glad. it's up not going to happen, game, and it's going to so. piss me off. No, we can't have. I am still a little bit mad about last year when we when we had done all the shows for conference tournament time, and then they just got shut down right at the end. So, hopefully, it at least happens this year. I know it'll be a complicated season, but look forward to some under the radar games to talk about in college basketball.
0: Well, and you do a lot with college basketball and a lot with college football and the NFL as well over at huntersportspicks.com. And what's going on over there. What's going on over there right now, man.
1: So you can check out my premium packages at huntersportspicks.com. I've done really bad in the NFL so far this year. And I certainly hope that I can pick it up. I always try to be transparent and honest in every way. Um, NFL, I'm having my worst season I've had so far. Um, Still a lot of season left, at least we think so. And, um You know, I think I'll turn it around some there. College football's been up and down. Um, You know, my free plays have done really well. 165 in my last 165 free plays sent out to newsletter subscribers. I'm I'm able to send out some things by free plays that I usually don't select. You know, first half plays, team total plays, teasers, things like that. So sign up there at huntersportspicks.com for the free newsletter and you'll get those every weekend.
0: And as always, make sure you follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. Always a treat, brother. Love chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. Always fun, man. Thanks. There you go. Once again, professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Thursday, we'll chat with another professional better and handicapper. That is Mr. Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We will work in some more NFL on tomorrow's show as well as some college football chatter. Then Friday, solo segment, Circa Picks for week 10. Uh, what the hell am I? 26, 18, and one on the year here in the Circus Sports Million. Uh, hopefully can get one of those elusive five and O's for this week in the contest. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.